0: hello and thank you for the offering of this practice Um, how can it be limited to this moment hundreds of things all manifest original practice from the original face it is impossible to measure which is of course from Dovin's self-revealing and employing samadhi and I offer that as uh, a gata, a little poem we might keep in mind tonight as I'm talking. And maybe what I offer will illuminate some corner of Dogen's uh, phrasing here. It's a little poem How Can I Be Limited to This Moment? Um, I began thinking about practice. And almost always it arises in my mind in the form of you know, the thought that uh, I practice on the cushion, but then I continue to practice when off the cushion, when I go out into the world, walking, talking, laying down, eating. Uh, and after sitting, it feels... Very natural to, catch, to to calmly and deliberately move from the cushion into the world, and to remain mindful of the practice of uh, silence. And uh, then I forget, <laughs> right? And and the vow is to come back to practicing again and again. And I I thought, well, yes, this is the practice. This this is it. And then I began to think about practice, uh, you know, and what practice is and all the forms in which we practice and that we're entreated to practice, encouraged to practice. Uh, And uh, at one point I began making a list of all the ways in which I practice. And uh, uh, I realized that the, the idea of practice uh, is so so very profoundly rooted in uh, what we are all about as you know, Zen practitioners, right? I mean, practice is a noun. We say, we ask someone, uh, what's your profession? And they answer, well, I practice law or I practice medicine. And then we say, I practice Buddhism. I'm a Buddhist practitioner, uh, or I practice soteriology. <laughs> you know, uh, I practice non-duality. I, you know, it goes on and on. Um, practice is also, in that sense, a verb, right? I, it, we're, I'm practicing uh, in order to get better at this business of uh, Bodhi, of, of embodying the Bodhisattva model of embodying awakening um, the, the practice is a as a, a, a custom it's a, a habit it's a it's a set of actions uh, the tradition in which I practice which goes back to Korea in the Jogae order of Buddhism in Korea um, was carried over here to this country by uh, Zen master Sung San De Sun Sunim, and uh, who established the Kwanum School of Zen. And that school of Zen is now found at their temples and groups all around the world. It's one of the largest Buddhist communities, global communities in existence. He gave uh, transmission to my teacher, George Moon uh, early on. George was, I think, the first to receive transmission from the Sunsanim. And we now refer to it instead of that and and then he was also given permission to start his own line. So he began the single flower uh, line of of Zen, which is an offshoot of quantum. Uh, But we now refer to the lineage as the Sudak Sa (laughs) mountain lineage, because that's where the Sun Sinim practiced, and that's where his teachers practice And his teachers' teachers practice this specific mountain temple area in Korea. So the lineage in which I practice is the Sudak uh, Sa lineage. Um, and again, you know, I'm talking about this, about practicing. And there are a group of actions and activities, practices that are associated with the Sudoksa mountain lineage uh, and Korean Zen, son, uh like uh, Wato practice, very prominent in Korean Zen. And um, if you're familiar with the teachings of Chunul, and you're probably already familiar with Wato, or it comes directly out of the Chinese Chan tradition. Uh, Koan study is is very prominent. Uh, there's a sort of a vast collection of koans that are studied uh, as part of uh, the, the practice uh, when you first begin, and, and then you continue with koans through your entire life. Um, great Doubt is another practice that's kind of prominent in Son, Buddhism. Uh, great Doubt is um, maybe best defined as a sense of wonder, You know, you sit with just a sense of wonder. And we call that great doubt. Um, So there are these practices associated with uh, the lineage I'm in. Zen master uh, Sung San also would encourage students to just do it. He would often, you know, roar at them, just do it, (laughs) just do it. And this is long before Nike began advertising, you know, just do it, just do it. Uh, and he'd also say, put it all down, put it all down, just do it. Try, try, try for a hundred years, save all beings. And that was his constant theme, over and over again, right? Just do it. And I thought, when I first heard that, uh, that it was, you know, kind of startling and clear and wonderful. You just do it. Yeah, you just drop anything, any thought about anything, and just act. Uh, how fresh, how wonderful! And then, in the ensuing years that I've been practicing in this way, I've realized that just do it is a practice, and it's 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 spontaneous, it's really, you know sudden and full of energy, but it's a practice. You have to kind of summon that energy and practice this over and over again. This openness, right? Um, and then, uh, as I began to reflect uh, on practice more deeply, I realized how. Intrinsic it is to being human. You know, it's, it's, it's the way we learn. It's, it's, we are practice. I thought about walking. How as a baby, I took a step and then I took another step and I practiced walking. And then I practiced running at some point, right? Or, uh, but it took practice to, to learn to keep my balance, to be able to negotiate in the world of, Objects and things, and you know, through spaces, um, and it was not something that I consciously thought about. I, mean, I was an infant, like all, all of us, you know, when we learned to walk, we were maybe a year old, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older. And the um, and then speech communication, you know, it 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 was something I learned. I it was. My communication skills developed as a result of practice. Uh, So, and and communication, uh, this freedom of movement in the world, you know, is intrinsic to uh, my being, one's being. And I thought, when I began to reflect on this, these forms of practice, practice really opened up for me. You know, I, I realized. how how vast and wonderful and diverse and uh, natural practice is to to this life. And uh, and then I began to look back at the things I was reading and hearing about practice um, and looked at practice in a new way, with new eyes, as it were. I saw... uh, Dogan's injunction, you know, or, or words. How can it be limited to this moment in a new way? Of course. How could it be limited to this moment? I'm, I've been practicing my whole life from the time I I was born. I've been practicing. It's it's intrinsic to who I am. This this practice of Zen, uh, of um, of uh, you know of liberation, of, I think of it as awakening in an awakening world. This practice of awakening in an awakening world is intrinsic to who I am and to who we are as people. And it doesn't happen in any instance that I'm aware of alone. I don't awake, I don't practice by myself. It's always in community, it's always in relationship to other people. now this has further developed an appreciation for me of what awakening means when when I consider that the practices are are social they're uh, and they're they're kind of uh in one teacher's words virtuosic It's kind of like what's being called upon in any moment of social interaction is not for me to to respond but for there to be a response that's in accord with whatever is occurring in, in the world at that moment um it's uh it's uh a readiness uh a willingness uh, uh and it's uh it's it, to act and 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 in unison with with something that's not yourself, but isn't not not yourself, right? And you um, are aware of, of this as you're acting, uh, or, and it seems to be just you acting, but you're not ever acting alone. You're always acting in relationship to something else, somebody else, in, in, in the community, in the world around you. Um, and uh, it doesn't allow, well, it does, but it, it, it encourages us to not think in advance, not to have a plan, not to think that there is a way um, or even that there is a practice, you know, a particular form of practice. It's, it's the, the encouragement is really, uh, is I appreciate anyway, not to have a plan, <laughs> not, not to really have a practice, to to be totally responsive in the moment and and to give yourself fully to what's occurring and uh, not, and to allow yourself not to feel separated from it to to be completely joined to it. Um, I made all kinds of notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'm following any of them i uh, mean and this idea of but this idea of practice um, let's say we' we're talking about the practice of meditation we can say also the practice of uh buddha dharma we can we can talk about awakening to the awakening world we can talk about awakening to our true selves, but this true self uh for me in right isn't my current understanding is is um uh, uh, practice. <laughs> it's synonymous with practice. Practice and the true self are one and the same the true nature, Buddha nature—and this practice doesn't end, does it? it just goes on. Um, even the Buddhas and ancestors go on practicing after their so-called awakenings, in story after story. They, they, they. They go on with practice uh, it doesn 't like end something doesn 't happen and, and practice just stops. Uh, they go on practicing and, and developing and deepening their realization um, and I, I ask myself, what does this mean that this practice is continuous um, could mean that perhaps that practice is necessary to awaken right, a set of actions or an activity that carries us to the destination of awakening, of becoming a Buddha. But then uh, all of the sutras that, that we love so much and we turn to again and again, like the Lotus Sutra, says we're already Buddhas. I pick up Reb Anderson's book on the third turning of the wheel and he says, oh yeah, there are Buddhas everywhere. They're all around us. You know? they're, they're practicing with us. Uh, so uh, is this Practice this continuous practice necessary for for awakening or does it just help uncover the, uh, so the our Buddha nature, so to speak
1: um, uh, and then
0: uh, I, I, it, it brings me to to wonder what have all of the ancestors and the Buddhas, uh, the Buddha ancestors and and monks and nuns, the big shoes and the bikinis been doing in all of these temples over all of these centuries? You know, what's that practice? And then I, I'm part of a group that is reciting the Gandhavi Vihu, the portion of the Avatamsaka Sutra. And it's all, the, you know, the stories about Sudhana's adventures. He goes off asking all of the, these people, gods, goddesses, um, children, a lot of business people, <laughs> uh, what is the conduct of an enlightened being, of an enlightening being? What what, uh, what is the practice, essentially, of enlightening being? What are the practices of enlightening being? And they all give various answers. Um, but I feel and I, I identify with with Sudhana. and as a as a buddhist practitioner i feel like i'm asking you all you know to tell me what what are the enlightening practices the practices of enlightening being and uh i i don't have to always ask you directly i can just watch observe Participate in, in the in the world with you, interact with you, and and it, it comes up. Uh, in uh, I think it's the forty fifth uh, chapter or, or segment about Sudhana, he he's directed by a god the goddess of sorrow to go visit uh, a woman or girl who was a former courtesan and is now. A member of the Shakya clan. Her name is Gopa, and um, he asks this question of Gopa: "What you know? What, what are the practices of an enlightening being?" And Gopa um, says, "You know, here are the ten practices of uh, of a bodhisattva," and then goes off to say uh, that these are the practices of a parent. These are the practices. Of a guardian spirit. These are the practices of a cloud, um, meaning someone who provides, you know, uh, um, rain and so forth for help, what's needed by, by, uh, other beings, by sentient beings. And I began to, you know, I, I, I it, it's clear that my, my parenting, my being a father is a form of practice, right? Uh, as is being a, a son a brother um, a husband uh, these are all practices and and i choose to make them practices i mean i consciously am aware that these are practices there are times when i'm called upon to be a parent At times i'm called upon to be uh, a practitioner a fellow student of the way a, a dharma student and i um, I really appreciate that that comes up in the uh, Avatamsaka Sutra and Sudhana's roaming about through what's called the palace of reality and talking to people about these practices. And someone says, well, you know, practicing being a parent is, is, is one of the practices of an enlightening being. Um, so it, it, practice is like I, I think, it permeates everywhere in 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 life. It it is the the awakening life, and I, and and it seems you know to be the teaching. Um, yeah, the practice is true nature. So uh, there's something else in here I wanted to get to. My list. I started making a list, uh, just a partial list, about Buddhist practices. Let me see what Buddhist practices I actually engage in, right? So there's meditation daily. There's koan introspection. It's my primary practice. When I go to see Tension Reb Anderson, I, I always introduce myself again and again and say my practice is... Koan introspection, and then I present the koan that I'm practicing. It's the traditional way, I think, that it's done. At least that's where I I learned somewhere, and I've been doing it that way for years now. So <laughs> I hope it's the the way it's done. Um, there's the group recitation I mentioned of the of the Avatamsaka Sutra. Every Saturday we get together and we we, we recite the uh, Adventures of Sudana. Um I get together with a group that copies the Lotus Sutra every Friday night. Um, I lead Dharma services at the Auburn Sierra Foothill Gigu Church as the Cloud Zendo every, every Saturday morning at 8.30. There are monthly meetings of the extended single flower Sangha that I'm a part of. Uh, there's twice monthly meetings of the senior teachers in the Sudaksa mountain lineage. We're studying the blue cliff record together. Um, there's a, uh, there are monthly no abode meetings with, with Rev, and when, when we meet in person, there's doka There are weekly meetings by a phone with my wonderful long-time teacher, uh, Bo Moon, which means wide open gate, Zen master wide open gate. <laughs> there are, uh, uh, there's a study of Soto, Rinzai, Soen Chen, Yosutani, and Theravada, and teachings, and all that. I come here occasionally, and, and I, was for a while, uh, coming regularly to the uh, study groups. So I mean, these are all so-called Buddhist practices. But I also practice keeping the house clean, <laughs> making meals, cre- uh, working out new new menus for the family. I care for my wife's mother who who lives with us and has Parkinson's and uh, some dementia. I take her to you know all her physical therapy meetings and doctor's appointments. I care for uh the horses we have, my wife's horses, uh, the chickens, the dog, which has been barking in the car out in the parking lot tonight, <laughs> uh, reminding me that I care for her. <laughs> Ruff, come out, come out, come out, Ruff, care for me. And, uh, yeah, I mentioned the chickens, I think, right? You mentioned the chickens. Yeah. So, and then I, I was making these lists, uh, you know, and I uh, I went out at one point as I was making this, this this particular list at this point to take care of the horses. It was early in the morning. And so I went up. To the, at first, I took the dog out and I attached the dog to her her tether line wrapped around a blue oak up on the hillside, and then the horses saw I me, and they were nickering, you know, oh, we're going to get fed, oh, and they're happy, and the, the chickens are out in the run clucking, uh, everyone is happy to see me because I'm about to feed them, so I go up, and I get the grain for the horses, and the tango, and Stephanie, and, and tango is an older, senior horse, so, it, and his teeth need to be floated, he can't eat, uh, uh, chew really well. So he he has trouble keeping weight on. So his grain has to be soaked before it's fed to him. And then Stephanie wants her grain soaked as well. So she'll come over and try and grab the the, the food out of the bucket as I'm trying to ladle it out um, with the big scoop we have. And then, uh, and then the chickens need, you know, corn and chicken crumble, and uh, and I like to feed them greens early in the morning. So I, I, uh, I grab some miner's lettuce, which is still growing on the hillside, and I throw it into the run for the chickens. And then and I make sure their water is good. And then I go in to see if there are any eggs. There's usually one egg in the morning and two or three eggs in the in the evening. And uh, when I went in, I discovered that one of our hens was dead. Just you know, in, in the corner, and it it wasn't unexpected entirely. She had been egg bound, and we knew she was not doing well. She was acting sick, and we probably could have done more for her than than we did. We weren't sure what we needed to do, and and, and you know, uh, never never got around to actually seeing if there was something specific we could do for her, and then she died. Uh, so there, there was suddenly death, you know, in the hen house. And, uh, I don't know what you, what your practice is. I, I am very mindful of death and practicing with death when, whenever I encounter it. So I practice with the red hen's death. Uh, and I think the, what I did was I, I didn't recite a Dharani exactly, but I, I opened to, uh, you know, what is this? Just the wonder of, of death.
1: Um, and then I uh,
0: took care of the, the hen, um, set her aside and went back to the house. And uh, after a little while, went back to my list making and, and making notes on, on practice. Um, You know, uh, I practice checking in with uh, the fellow I sponsor in Alcoholics Anonymous every day. It's a practice. I practice attending AA meetings and uh, working the 12 steps. It's a practice. I practice being a functioning father to my my four grown children, uh, a son to my. Stepmother, you know, I mentioned this before, a brother to my six surviving younger brothers and sisters, and a friend to friends, and a good friend to good friends. (laughs) Um, And I practice appreciating all that is received and all that is given each day, right? Especially what's being received. There's so much that supports this practice. All these practices that I say I'm doing are really not... My doing there are the, this kind of collective doing of beings and phenomena and you know causes and effects arising, and i 'm in the midst of it uh, appreciating it uh, when I look at my entire life, I see that there there 's an an enfoldment of practices that that make up the whole of my existence um,
1: And I would never have become
0: aware of them, were it not for this practice of Zen and uh, the Dharma. Uh, I don't think maybe I would have come to an awareness of all these things without the Dharma, but I don't think so. I mean, it didn't happen that way anyway. But you know, practices have carried me from the womb. <laughs> to write here at age 69 in this room talking to all of you. And then there's the practice of this talking and listening together and, and sharing the, the Dharma. Um, it's truly
1: really wonderful. Um, mm.
0: Yeah, everywhere you look in the teachings and writings of either Dogen or this teacher or that teacher of Zen, you find all of them unfolding these manifold ways of practice. Um, and all these practices pointing to our true nature. And all these practices are our true nature, which I think isn't that a fundamental point of practice for
1: Dogen? Is it?
0: In so in in self-revealing and uh, employing samadhi, Dogen begins by saying, Now all ancestors and all Buddhas who uphold Buddha Dharma have made it the true path of enlightenment to sit upright, practicing in the midst of self-fulfilling samadhi. You will raise up Buddha activity at innumerable practice places and vigorously uplift the ongoing Buddha Dharma. If practice and realization were two things, as it appears to an ordinary person, each could be recognized separately, but they are not separate. In stillness and silence, we see how mind and object merge in realization. And this is not only practice while sitting, it is like a hammer striking emptiness before and after its exquisite peel permeates everywhere. How can it be limited to this moment? Hundreds of things all manifest original practice from the original face. It is impossible to measure. Uh, I want to just mention two more things and I'll end. In Genjo Koan, Dogen describes our life of practice with the help of fish and birds. And I've always appreciated that. I love the fish and birds in, in the Genjo Koan. He says, when their activity is large, their field is large. And when their need is small, their field is small. Here, a scoop of corn and layer of is given to the chickens. That's the practice. It is possible to illustrate this with more analogies, Dogen says. Practice, enlightenment, and people are like this. When you find your place where you are, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. When you find your way at this moment, practice occurs, actualizing the fundamental point. For the place, the way is neither large nor small, neither yours nor others. The place, the way has not carried over from the past and it is not merely arising now. Accordingly in the practice enlightenment of the Buddha, Meeting one thing is mastering it. Doing one practice is practicing completely. And uh, one might add, you know, in conclusion, on or off the cushion. Uh, and I also should add, thank you, Dogen Zenji. So the practice of Buddhism, the practice of awakening, often seems to rest solely on the practice of meditation. That's where I began. And I used to think this, that it was the practice awakening sort of seems to rest solely on and begin with the practice of meditation, but it's not always so. Meditation practice can awaken us to the vast unimpeded life of a lifetime of an endless array of practices, all of which we are already performing every moment of our lives. And these practices are not separable from our Buddha nature these practices are awakening us. Thanks to this vast number of practices we are aware of and unaware of, we are awakening to an awakening world. It's kind of an important point for me personally, this practice, the practices we are aware of and we are unaware of. Again, going back to meditation, I used to think uh, that um, when I zoned out, when I wasn't aware of where I was and what I was doing for a couple of moments while sitting on the cushion or involved in the activity, I thought, that's bad. You know, the whole practice is to try and keep me aware, keep me awake, uh, make me not allow me to avoid the, the, the error of, of living in that way. And since then, I've begun to see that that's kind of a, a practice. I'm not always. Clear on what its function is in, in my life, but there is clearly a practice there going on uh, as surely as there a practice there is a practice in my body moving the blood around through the circulation, circulatory system
2: um,
0: and there 's a wisdom to it that that uh, I want to appreciate uh, this not always being aware, and that wisdom. Um, was described by Albert Lowe, a, a, a Buddhist teacher in, from Montreal, as being like what happens when you uh, you, you cut your body and, and you're wounded. You don't, through an act of will, heal the, your body. Your body knows what to do. There's that sense of wisdom in in our lives. Uh, I think that that. Similar to my sense of the wisdom of practice in our lives, how it's just always there, um, always working on our behalf and our benefit to help us awaken uh, in this awakening world. So, thank you.
1: Thank you. Um, when you were uh, talking about what the function, just now, when you were talking
2: about what the function of spacing out is or, you know, not
1: being present or, drifting, you know, drifting around, and then you... you oh, thank you.
2: Um, you were talking about uh, what the function of um, spacing out is and not being present, and uh, you, you said something about you said something about the, you know, the the blood the blood coursing in your veins, and I was thinking, well, you know, the, there's the veins too. There's the blood, but there's the veins, and um, it's like the, the it seemed to me like the function of 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 spacing out was to give like give something to, you know, some resistance, which which was helpful. You, it was it was. It was a part of the whole thing. Like the the walls of the veins are like some resistance to the blood, I suppose. There's some friction there, but quite necessary. Yeah. <laughs> blood, you know, blood everywhere. <laughs> so um, uh, I was just, you know, I was stimulated by your, uh, your speaking about that and thinking of, you know, what the function of delusive spacing out is it gives us something to meet and and, you know rather than just hanging out in the bliss of perfect mindfulness
1: all the time
0: (laughs) I won't argue with you
1: (laughs) (laughs) well Linda.
2: Linda has another question
3: Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciated that. Um, am I muted? No. you're we can Okay. Hear you. okay. Um, I had an exchange with you a little while ago about um, a practice that had recently become important to me. I was initiated into Transcendental Meditation many, many years ago and never found it useful. I couldn't I couldn't work with a mantra so but recently I have um, had I've really appreciated using the mantra that um, kind of arose from an experience with uh, Mio Lehi one time during a uh, Dharma talk that he ended shouting at us just this <laughs> and we all, we all were so startled because it had been a very calm dharma talk, and um, so just this has become a mantra for me recently that I'm really working with, and I find it. I, I just really appreciate broadening the idea of um, of what practice is to us and how we work with it, um, and a mantra being one, and also. Going into the marketplace of the medical community is quite a uh, practice as well wow. so anyway just thank you thank you for um, um make justifying my my uh, yoga practice which I think I couldn't I, I think I couldn't do anything else without that <laughs> now after four or five years and um, and working a little bit with the mantra so. Thank you.
4: Hi, John. Um, thank you very much but that was an extraordinary dharma talk in my opinion um, not so much the subject which was really good uh what else is there to talk about actually but um, but uh without meaning to be glib because of the chicken crumbles um <laughs> And the story around that. And, um, and your expression of your practice, continuous practice, except when you're spacing out. And maybe that's part of it too, as you say. So, um, I just want to thank you for that. It's really, uh, it's, uh, I felt you were expressing rather than just articulating your practice. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. I just had this uh, feeling as you spoke and had your list,
4: I could feel like, what practice means just kept expanding and expanding and expanding like seeping into every corner
2: of
0: your life more and more and more and i've had this sort of chant lately you know if we don't pick and choose if we don't judge then everything matters and how profound that is if we meet each moment with that sense of everything matters and that's how it felt listening to you thank you thank you Ella
2: point in your talk you were um, you were talking about you said something about you know, Buddhists and ancestors you know um, even as as accomplished as they are they just go on practicing and it reminded me of the verification of that in the, also in the Genjo Koan where it says you know, Buddhas. Don't necessarily realize they're Buddhas, and they go on realizing Buddhas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's their practice to go on realizing Buddhas, and uh, so there's no end. Yeah, as you say, no end. I've just been. Um, I've just been. Uh, I'm just talking here because I don't see any other hands so you can just interrupt me. But, um, <laughs> I've just been um, uh, spending five days with Shohaku Okamura online uh, studying the very difficult uh, Dogen text called Buddha Nature. Um, and uh, you know the the uh, the effect of simply being with uh, someone so deeply studied and practiced is is actually the thing that I'll remember. You know of of just being with that person who is so sincere and so uh, committed and also so humble. Um, and so honest. So you know, I think that you know, uh, I was inspired by your talk also, and I think that's what you know. That's part of our practice is that kind of that kind of transmission, you know, that kind of gift mm-hmm. that uh, we make when we sit up there. Which is you know something
0: Yeah to do. Especially wearing what <laughs> Suzuki Roshi called this troublesome robe. <laughs> <laughs> right? I think it was in the one of his published talks, uh not always so. I think he was talking about this one. <laughs> no,
2: <I think laughs> this is quite troublesome.
0: <laughs> this this one belonged actually to Kobin Chino. Uh, yeah. I got it I was Zen Master Moon studied with Coben and uh, one of his, Coben's senior teachers was given this robe and this teacher said to George I'm giving the robe to you and George said thank you and offered it to Zen Master Degak a friend of his on on, uh, Furnace Mountain where he lives who said oh no, I don't think so thank you though I think he was a little superstitious or something because of Coben's death Right. He, um, I don't think so <laughs> that robe might be haunted or something and then he offered it to me and I said sure <laughs> no, I'd love to have one of Coben's robes and I think I hear, I've learned since that Coben gave robes to many people he, he would receive a robe and he'd turn around and he'd say here how would you like a robe so I guess there are a lot of these Coban Chino robes out there these troublesome roads. And this is Kenny. And thank you for your talk. Um, when you were speaking about learning to walk or learning to speak, I was like, well, "Wait, somebody had to hold you up and walk with you. Someone had to talk with you to get you to speak." So, but then you got onto the parental role, and um, you didn't mention driving as a practice but that seems to be where I, I guess make mistakes and then return constantly because I get behind the wheel and forget, wait a minute I need to be nicer to people or whatever, calm down and um, somebody has an email sign off that says whatever is in the way is the way and it's like, yeah, that's
2: that's where I'm at right now.
0: So, yeah. <laughs>
2: thank you for your, your talk.
0: Thank you. I, I mentioned I'm in AA, and after years and years of, of practice, I realized one day that we all talk in AA about our drunclogs—these great stories about the, the crazy stuff we did when we were high or you know, using LSD or drunk or whatever—and and then you know we got straight, sober, and everything changed. And, uh, and that's basically the story format you know, over and over and over again. And then one day I realized that the thing I was leaving out of my story was that every time I got high or drunk or tried to change my perception of reality as it is, every time I screwed around with yeah, perceptions of reality and tried to make them different, distorted diluted whatever for entertainment purposes or whatever um that stuff wore off and i would get dropped right back into the life i'm in it's like you know n- no distortions no filters just experiencing things directly the next morning when you wake up you know maybe you're hung over and feeling like crap or you, you're feeling like you know oh, i don't know I survived another one, <laughs> uh, but you 're back in your in your own body and mind perceiving the world as you do without the the uh, intervening chemicals distorting things and I think one of the things that comes up for me through this ongoing practice of study uh, of, of ongoing study of practice is that everything when it becomes a practice feels um, very, it, it, it kind of leaves you feeling enlivened moment by moment by moment, you know. Uh, so my dog is barking out in the truck and, and I'm practicing with, <laughs> with that, you know. And, uh, I'm practicing with presenting this, uh, whatever, offering this, uh, here at this moment in time and space. Um, and uh, you know, I'm feeling the, my body on the cushion, and and and, and the uh, lateness of the hour. And as I move through you know moments in my life now, it's like practices pre- are presenting themselves all the time, and I'm fully embodying them now. I feel like I'm embodying them, and really appreciative of of how I, you know I'm not. Summoning these practices i mean they're just occurring they're just unfolding you know uh and uh it, it's it's a wonderful way of of living of participating in in the
1: world and uh, meeting it.